So we're starting a new series, guys, stepping into this new series called Heavenly Architect, uh, studying Colossians for unfinished people. Our goal in this series is very simple. It is to firmly, it is that our goal as Christ followers is to film firmly build ourselves onto and into Christ and grow up in him, in the knowledge of him, and in the understanding that we are united with him in faith. So I want you to grab your Bibles, turn to Colossians. Colossians is in the New Testament. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Now, for those of you who didn't know or weren't able to grab one, we, we bought 20 uh, what are called journaling Bibles of Colossians, Colossians and Philemon, another New Testament book, that uh, one side has the text and the other side is wide open for you to take notes. Uh, if you want to grab one of those after the service, if there are some more, they're just five bucks a pop, which is a great deal. They're quite pretty. <laughs> they're quite beautiful little books. And uh, you can take notes right in there if you are a note-taking type of person. So let's stand out of respect for God's word. And right now we are going to read uh, Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 15 through to 20. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and we will have that text behind me as well. This is the word of God to us this morning. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. And then moving to verse 15. This Christ that he is speaking of, this is him. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. God of grace, we thank you that you have not left it up to us to figure you out, that although you have revealed yourself through your creation, you have also given us these inspired words of God that, were, that are as true today as the day they were first inspired to the saints. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you would want to say to us this morning. And wherever you would want us to go, whatever you would call us to do in response to your word this morning, we commit to it. We say now, we will do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, you can take a seat. Uh, some of you know that the man who stands before you, if you've known me for a while, you know that this man who stands before you has a shaded past as a boy band member um, with horrible, just absolutely horrible fashion sense, uh, just abuse of the fashion world and uh, some hip-hop dancing. Um, back when uh, we used to tour, uh, sometimes we would go places and we would, it would be like a month or a month and a bit, so we would have a bus and like the full deal felt really important. And then other times we would just fly into places like northern Ontario and, and, and rent a vehicle and drive. Now, we felt pretty cool though. I was in my early 20s and we felt like we're rock stars, right? So we felt like we were touring like this and something like this, right? But in reality, it was something more like, more like this. 
It's usually while we were traveling through. There was, there was one time where we were driving through uh, the northern side of uh, Lake uh, Superior uh, between Sault Ste. Marie and uh, Sudbury because, you know, Sudbury. <laughs> Biggest nickel in the world, the 1951 nickel. Who doesn't want to see the five-story nickel in Sudbury? So we were driving, and it was, it was late morning. The sun was out, straight road. I've got my sunglasses on. I'm driving. Now, you would think it's, you know, it's not even noon yet, so I should be fine driving. You would think it's sunny out. It's not dark. Everything should be fine. Got my shades on, looking down the road. We're all talking. We're all laughing, all excited. Sudbury, we're living the dream. No, we weren't doing that. But we were heading to Sudbury. We're laughing a little bit. And uh, they would assume I'm fine because beautiful day. We're hardly even into the day yet. We just started driving, really. But they don't realize that I haven't really been talking much anymore. And if I wasn't wearing my sunglasses, they probably would have realized that I was doing this thing where I rest one eye for a bit. And then I'll rest. That works, right? Until both of my eyes decided they were going to rest. And the car started drifting (laughs) into oncoming traffic. Doug, who was in the pastor seat, grabbed the, grabbed the wheel and pulled us over into the shoulder. And there was kind of like, <sighs> all this kind of gasping. And then I finally turned to, turned to him and went, yeah, I don't think I should drive. Does anyone else want to drive? We kind of got ourselves uh, together. The goal of Colossians is to keep you and I from drifting. Is to keep, although we can keep all our appearances up, Everything looks fine to the outside world and the people around us. Very often our soul, our heart, mind, and soul can be drifting. And sometimes it's gone a long way. And if something, the Holy Spirit, isn't there to gently guide us back, he will have to very abruptly possibly guide us back onto uh, the path that we are called to be on. That is the, the danger that we can often find ourselves. That's the danger that the church in Colossae, Colossae found itself in. They were in danger of drift. It was written so that those who had already called themselves Christ followers would be careful not to drift into what Paul called empty philosophy. Hey, if there was ever a time where there are plenty of philosophies going around with hardly any ability to check their validity, it is today. Just philosophies going back and forth online, on, in, on TV, um, in advertisements that we just buy. We can slowly start drifting off the path we've been called to. And that's what Paul is saying to them. Don't drift off. Don't get caught up in these empty philosophies. In Colossians 2, verse 6 to 8, he says this. Next slide. There we go. Cool. He says this, writing to this church, he says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him, and then your faith will grow strong. That visual is great. Your roots are going down, you're growing more into Christ, and then you you will grow up strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. He wanted to be sure that they stayed firm in their faith. He wanted to make sure they stayed in their lane. When you and I drive, for those of you who drive, uh, when we drive, we are constantly making little corrections. All the time. We don't even think about it anymore. We're constantly making little corrections to keep us in our lane. (laughs) And we've all seen people who aren't doing a great job of it. (laughs) Usually it's because they've got a phone in their hand. (laughs) Um, Not any of us, obviously. 
It's going to be my third point, by the way, so get ready. But we're always making short little corrections to make sure we are not getting all out of our lane. And what Paul is saying is that you ought to live a life that is continually making these small adjustments to keep yourself focused on Christ so that you will be deeply rooted in him, you will be connected with him, and you will grow with him. He wants to protect them. He wants to protect us from drift. And it could be that as as we walk through this letter together, the Spirit of God is going to to need to gently guide you back into the lane, back into your lane. Or, as I said, maybe some of us have drifted quite a ways off, but we've been wearing our shades, so nobody's noticed, but our soul has got far off center, far out of our lane. And the Spirit of God, maybe today, maybe through this series, needs to grab the wheel and yank us back into our lane. And it'll be jarring, but it will be for the safety and the health of your soul and of your life. Because it doesn't matter what we tr- how we try to disguise it, whether it's sunglasses or with a smile or just fooling people with great morality. If we do not cling to Christ, we cling to the wheel of a drifting car. We must cling to Christ. Today we're just kind of getting a, a quick intro to this, to this letter to, to kind of frame what we'll be walking through over the next few months. This is going to take us all the way to Easter. What a great, I tell you, this is a great letter to frame, to frame Easter, and you'll see that as we, we go along. The letter of Colossians was written by Paul. It was co-authored by a guy named Timothy. Timothy was kind of a spiritual son of Paul who, who, who was a pastor in, in Ephesus. Paul had brought him to faith. Uh, or at least helped him grow in the faith, who was a continual encouragement to him as Timothy pastored. And Paul is most is writing from a prison, as we'll see in a moment. Um, and so Timothy's probably visiting him. He's, and and there's, a, there's speculation about which prison Paul was in, because he liked spending time in prison. Um, he loved it, because he, then he could just preach to the prison guards. And you know, when else was he going to get that opportunity? He never saw a bad side to, to that. He could preach to the prisoners. He could preach to the prison guards. And, and he used to be super excited about that. Some people think he could have been in a prison in Ephesus, in Caesarea, in Rome. But either way, Timothy was with him and helped him write this letter. He says this in Colossians 4, 3. Speaking of prison, he says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And Paul most likely is not just saying, hey, get me out of here. He's saying, hey, if I have to stay here, great. Just pray that I can preach the word. That's the kind of guy Paul was. Doesn't matter where he was, he knew what God's call in his life was. That was to preach the gospel. People assume the letter was probably written about 60 to 62 AD. Colossae was not a big town, but it was connected to several other large towns, Laodicea and Hierapolis, which they were all, they were very close uh, cities, so close that they didn't bother putting it on this map. Um, They're they're two little close cities that basically it was called a tri-cities. Ooh, it was, I'm not joking. It was kind of a tri-cities. It's about, to give you an idea of the size of the map, it was about 100 miles from Ephesus. That was in what was called Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, you see Greece right next to where Ephesus is, and Italy, so you have an idea of where Colossae was. They were known for uh, purple wool that they made. In fact, there was, there was a wool called Colissinus Purple. It was named after the town because they made it from a plant um, there. This church was actually not planted by Paul. 
it, wasn't it nice of Paul to leave one or two churches to be planted by someone else? The guy who covered all of the Mediterranean, he's like, I'm taking a break. And so a guy named Epaphras, actually, uh, we don't know how he came to faith. Some people think it was through Paul and then planted this church in, in Colossae. But we, we hear later in the letter, in Colossians chap, chapter 1, uh, verses 7 8, he says, You learned about the good news, the gospel, from Epaphras, our beloved co worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So Epaphras was the pastor there. Now, why is Paul writing? We, we have to get this if we understand the, the, the point of this letter. Colossae was on a major trade route where, where different philosophies, different religions, different wisdoms and, and ideologies were all made. Fashion, commerce were all made because they were on a trade route where all these things were coming from both sides of the world, from the, the Orient in and from the, the West in, and they were all crossing through Colossae. So it was kind of a, a hotbed for the wise and the weird. Okay? It was a place where anything kind of went. And so if it's around the church, it's going to start making its way into the church. And that's what was happening. There were a group of people called the Gnostics who said, well, Christ is good, but we've got this secret kind of knowledge. And if you know more about the secret, we'll tell you it's a Jesus and. Jesus is good, but add this and then you'll really have life. If anyone ever tries to preach a gospel that is a Jesus and, it's not the gospel. I don't care what they're selling. Pilates or essential oils. I don't care. If it's Jesus and... I like my essential oils. I'm just saying. But, but it, it has to find its right place. But if someone ever tries to preach a Jesus and, that's not the gospel. And Paul is going to make that very clear throughout this letter. Paul's written response to this church in Colossae where that, was, that was, had these Gnostics kind of making their way into the church is that the gospel is sufficient. The gospel is is sufficient. And that doesn't mean that other things don't have their proper place in our lives, but our, our work, our families, our workout routine, what we eat and drink, they all find their proper place and find their proper influence on our lives when they are properly related to a Christocentric life. So food in our lives can't get out of hand when it's proper and it put it in its proper place because we don't try to find something in food that it's not meant to give us. Relationships will, will never be a burden on other people or try to satisfy something in us that they can't possibly satisfy when they are put on the outside of a Christocentric existence. They all find their right place when we do that. When we build ourselves on and into Christ, which is what Paul is calling us to our work, our sexuality, our food, our exercise, our ideologies, and these days, very important, our politics will find their proper place. I mean, I mean if we live this out, if we all live Christocentric lives, and all these other, our, 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 our identity is not found in our politics, our identity is not found in our sexuality, I mean, what will be left to talk about on Facebook? There'll be nothing left. We just have to close it down. I don't know what he'll do after that. Jesus gives this invitation in Matthew 22. He invites us to order our lives in a way that brings this kind of health. He says this in the Gospel of Matthew 22, verses 33 to 38. When the crowds heard him, Jesus was always being challenged by the religious people of his day. They were astounded at his teaching. But when the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, who were like religious lawyers and scribes, with his reply, they met together to question him. So it's like all these different groups are coming at Jesus to kind of corner him. 
One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. Now, why is that the greatest commandment? Why is that so important? Because when we find our love aimed towards Christ, our heart longing for him, our deepest desires, the meditations of our mind orbiting the very source of life, then the other things we we possess and pursue will never have an unhealthy hold on us. And the reason many people find that their, their faith isn't working is not because Christ has let them down. It's very often because they've said, I'm going to have a Christ and kind of gospel. I'm going to invest my life in this kind of thing. And Jesus can come along if he wants. And then they wonder why their faith doesn't seem to have any depth. Why when difficulty comes, they're, they're unable to sense the presence of God with them. Don't allow these things to cause drift in your life. Paul is saying. So to understand Paul's point in Colossians, over and over and over, the the text that I already read that, that we'll read one more time here has to come to mind. And I would say, don't only focus your study of Colossians on this text, I would focus your life on this one text. Well, read the Bible. But... If you want to continually come back to, in whatever situation you're going through, to understand any biblical truth, to understand who the person of Christ is, come back to Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Let's, let's look at that one more time. This is such a powerful, worshipful, considered to be a hymn of the day. This is considered to be a song in the early church. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Was he just a teacher? Was he just a guru? No. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. And he is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. If you want to cross-reference that with the first, the prologue of the Gospel of John. Talk about the pre-existence of Christ and his his, uh, um, part in the creation of the world. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything. That's an interesting word in the Greek. Everything. It means everything. Everything was created through him and for him. That means everything you own, everything you've earned, belongs to Jesus. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. That's an amazing statement, by the way. We'll get to that later in the series. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The, the immensity of Christ, the authority of Christ, the power of Christ, the deity of Christ cannot be overstated. And so regardless of what you walk through in relationships, in work, in politics, in whatever ideology you bring, Christ must be center or there will be drift. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, you don't care. 
If you are a Christ follower, as, as Paul said to them, as you have begun in Christ, continue to follow Christ, to root yourself in Jesus Christ. His point is that there is no area in your life, no area in your life where Christ should not have authority. Dutch theologian, and by the way, prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905, Abraham Kuyper, he said it this way. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It all belongs to him. And we will do very well to realize that earlier than later. In the words of Paul in Philippians, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. And it can, we can do it now with great joy and anticipation of his return. Or we can do it in great fear at his return. The invitation is to welcome Christ and to dwell with Christ. So in this letter to the Colossians, Paul talks about being firmly rooted in this Jesus, the Jesus of, of Colossians 1, 15 to 20. If anyone tries to preach you a different Jesus that we just need to emulate because he was a good moral guy, that is not the Jesus of Scripture. He is the living God incarnate. That is the Jesus that we worship. Let your whole identity be caught up in him. Don't run after other gods. We'll see this throughout the book. Don't run after all these other gods that are going to be offered you. Christ is sufficient. There is nothing that they try to lord over that he is not the lord over. When you are tempted to become a moralist and define your life by how good you live or by how much you messed up, remember, Christ, God through Christ has redeemed you. It's not on what you can pull off morally. Three, chapter 3, verse 3 says, Your life is hidden in Christ. Marital relationships, social constructs, all find their proper place when our lives are properly arranged around a Christocentric life. Paul is passionate with this phrase, in Christ. And we, you're, we're going to dig deep into this idea because it is a mysterious, beautiful idea of being in Christ. See, for Paul, the idea of being in Christ or united with Christ is not just a, a neat metaphor. It's not just an angle of the gospel. It is the definition of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I've said this several times before. Christianity, the word Christian is used three times in Scripture. And two times, you were, we were talking about this, two times it's negative. <laughs> it's a put down. It's an insult. Paul doesn't use the word Christian for Christ followers. He, he says, in Christ, your identity is that you are intimately, mysteriously, spiritually united with Christ. And when we start talking about united in his death, united uh, in baptism, united in his resurrection, that means something that we're going to dig into. It's, it's super exciting. <laughs> but to, to, to kind of prove my point, I just want to show you the, the amount of times he uses this. You have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. We have a whole bunch of verses here throughout Colossians. Let's just kind of go through them here. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Next verse. To the saints and faithful brothers and sisters, as we used before, in Christ at Colossae. Next one. Since you have heard, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Him, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
For through, through, though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good, your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. We, it just goes on and on and on about faith in Christ, firmness in Christ, um, to, to, to talk about our relationship with him in death, our relationship with him being raised from the dead in Colossians 3.1. Not to mention the times, he, as we mentioned, he goes on and on about being in him, in him, united with him, in Christ. As we go through this letter over the next few months and, and you read it over and over at home and you, you take notes, I would encourage you, grab a pen or a pencil and circle every time Paul mentions that, in this letter and in other letters. It will change the way you read the text. It'll open up your heart and mind as we walk through this together and we unpack what it means, this mystery of being in Christ. For Paul, the Christian message is not simply that Jesus gives us salvation. It's not simply that he gives us forgiveness or gives us righteousness. It's that he is those things. And we only have those things as we are connected to Christ. They are not separate from it. So we can't just take salvation and run. It's not good, I got my passport stamped, I'll see you when the plane leaves. That's not how it works. That's not how Christian faith works. It's that we are united with Christ. Our life is intimately united, and so we continue to walk with him and grow deeper and grow up in Christ. Our faith not, is not about what we receive from Christ. It is Jesus himself. That's what it means to be a Christian. Anything less than a pursuit of more of Jesus is just sunglasses while we're drifting into the other lane. Our call is to be intimately connected with him. Because we can look good on the outside, and everything around us can look good, but inside will be, there will be no life. And, and, and many of you know that experience. The world, uh, the people around you going, man, you seem to have it all together on the inside. Just going, it's, I, I'm not feeling anything. <laughs> I'm feeling empty. I'm feeling, feeling broken. When we understand what it means to be in Christ and intimately united with him, that changes. Because he's moved, there's something happening on the inside that you can't, you, you can't cover up just with sunglasses. There is, a, in areas of Africa and in the Middle East, there is a, a fruit called the Sodom apple. Doesn't sound good, does it? Some, some traditions call it the devil's apple, okay? Looks not too bad. It's, looking at it here, you maybe can't really get the, the size. It's about the size of an orange or an apple. It looks tasty, but it's actually poisonous and empty. Yeah, could have used you. One, one researcher wrote about the Sodom apple. He said, the fruit resembles externally a large, smooth apple or orange hanging in clusters of three or four together. And when ripe, it's, the col it, it's yellow in color. It was now fair and delicious to the eye and soft to the touch, but on being pricked or struck, it explodes with a puff, like a bladder, that's visual, or a puffball leaving in the hand only the shreds of the thin rind and a few fibers it is indeed filled chiefly with air my goal and my hope for you as it was for paul and the church in colossae as we as we unpack this together that you would be unwilling to settle for something that looks good on the outside but is flavorless and lifeless on the inside so that as, as political climates come and go, as jobs come and go, as relationships come and go, and they will all come and go, our greatest desire would be more of him. 
and our identity would find its, its deepest foundation in Christ. See, Paul starts his letter in verse 2 by referring to the church that is in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So although they reside in a Roman town of Colossae, their, their identity, their, their union together, their lives are built not on their geographical location or their political affiliation or their identity anywhere outside of being in Christ. He is their greatest association. What is our greatest association? What is your greatest association? What's mine? It's really easy to figure out. It's really easy to figure out what our, our greatest identity and our greatest association is. Is Where do we find the most opportunity to boast? Where do we, where do we find the most opportunity to boast? That's probably a good understanding of where we find our greatest identity. What gets your back up? When someone talks to you or questions you about something and your back goes up, most likely that has taken your center. And you're more connected to that possibly than you are connected to Christ. Is it our political view? Is it our job? Our friends? Our associates? Fortnite? No? Wrong crowd. <laughs> or do we echo Paul and we say, where he says elsewhere, I consider all that garbage. I just want Jesus. I don't care. You can take that stuff. I just want Jesus. Paul ripped of everything sitting in a Roman prison saying, you can take my life if you want. Oh, well, we can't kill him. Then he's going to be a martyr. Oh, okay, then let me live. Well, we'll beat you up. Well, beat me up. If I can suffer for Christ, that's fantastic. What are you going to do with this guy? Hey, the, the world won't know how to deal with you if you live a Christ-eccentric life. They won't know what to take away from you. They won't know how to push your buttons because they can steal things from your bin but Christ is still on the throne. Jesus gives this invitation himself, this invitation of being united with Christ. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, says this. It says, remain in me, Jesus says, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. We can't think that we can live a healthy, fruitful Christian life if we are not connected to Christ. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You believe it? That that's where our life is found. If we are Christ followers, we are to be connected to Christ, abiding in, finding our life in him. There's no taking the gift of forgiveness. There's no taking the gift of salvation from Jesus because they're bound up in him. There's no Christianity without an ongoing nurturing of our union with Christ. And it will save us. It will save us from drifting into oncoming traffic. It will save us from moving off center. It will save us from having the appearance of faith and no real life, no real anchor, no real mooring, and we will find ourselves drifting without it. Some of you might have heard the news on Boxing Day at 5 a.m. in the morning on Boxing Day, two barges broke, three, broke free in Coal Harbor and started drifting across the port of Vancouver. And they ended up smashing into the shore and causing over a million dollars of damage, a restaurant and some, some yachts. That, that part's okay. But uh, <laughs> the barges were the size of a soccer field. Two barges loaded up and just slowly drifting in the darkness of the morning. 
Paul's desire, my desire, our desire as a church as we walk through this series is to save you from drifting. To move quietly in the quietness and nobody notices that you're carrying burden and you're slowly, your mooring is gone, your anchor is gone, and you're slowly shifting off course and you'll find yourself smashing in to something eventually. And I want to encourage you, the Spirit of God, the gospel calls you to allow the Spirit to bring you back into the lane. As Christ has called you, as as you've claimed faith in Christ, continue to walk in Christ. And it rarely happens suddenly. It rarely happens suddenly for Christ followers. It's often a slow drift. And the way to save ourselves from this is to find ourselves abiding daily in Christ, to find an anchor and a, and a solidity in this new identity that Christ has given it. And it's not a one-off. It's not a, oh, I did it. I did it today. I'm in Christ. It is a continual, ongoing connection with Christ daily as we've you know, as we've prayed the, the manna that God gave them in the desert right this ongoing coming to, coming to God and saying I want to abide with you today I want faith for today get me through today and then I'm going to come to you in the morning and I'm going to cry out for you again to feed me and sustain me as we walk together united that's what it means to be in Christ so I I, I want to invite you throughout this series, to, to commit to the series, commit to discussing this series with, with each other, commit to, to reading the book more than once over the next three months as we explore what it means to be in Christ and, and struggle for it, fight for it, pursue this union with Christ, unpeel peel it away over and over and over to understand what it means to be in union with Christ as we unpack that together. Okay, let's pray. God of grace, thank you so much. You have not left it up to us. Even after coming to faith, you've not left it up to us to get ourselves all morally straight so that then we can have relationship with you. But in spite of the the jagged edges, in spite of the areas that we need you to chisel away at, you invite us to be united with you. It's not a language we, we talk about a lot although it's used in Scripture very much. And so it's mysterious. In some way, it's, it's confusing and hard to understand that it's this, this union that comes through faith, Paul says, through deeper understanding of what it means to be united to you, Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. But I pray that as we, as we dive into the depths of this truth, you would reveal in us the joy, the the fruitfulness of being firmly planted in you, growing on you, being built up in you. And any of those things, the philosophies that would come, the things that would pull you out of the center of our life and have our lives revolve around something else, any of those things, I pray through, through the, oh, the gentleness of your spirit, you would grab the wheel and pull us back into our lane, that we would be faithful in following your son, Jesus Christ. And give us strength because it's not a one-off. It's a a day-by-day pursuing of your son, Jesus Christ. And we say now, we will do it. We will commit to it. We will read. We will pray. We will discuss. And we will rely on your spirit. Jesus, thank you so much for the identity that you give us. 
that because of you, because of your sacrifice on the cross, because we are able to put our faith in what you have already done and therefore be known as children of the living God. And it's not just a fancy title, it's reality. So may we live with that confidence of forgiven lives and a, a hope for the future. May this be true of us. May this be true of this community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.